At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we step into the new year, we're turning to the book of James for our message series, Live the Truth. In a culture preaching the power of whatever feels right to you, it's time to set aside positive vibes for a truth you can stand on. Join us as we answer James' call to reject the latest feel-good message for a mature faith. I told you guys I was going to do is once a month, just kind of give you an update on some books that I recommend that we're going to hold over in our bookstore there in our lobby. And um, the book that I want to tell you about this month, uh, Brad actually, you know, it's always interesting. Anytime you're around people who you find to be very wise, people who are really smart, you should always ask them, what are you reading? Like, what are you putting into your mind, into your heart? What are you reading? And and at Christmas time, Brad gave all the staff this particular book. And he said, of all the books he's read last year, and he, he reads a lot. And he's like, of all the books he read last year, he said, this book was the most powerful thing that he read. And when he gave it to me, he goes, uh, Billy, I, I don't want you to do what you normally do. And I'm looking, I'm like, what do I normally do? He goes, you know, you just, just read it. You know, don't do that. Don't do that. He goes, I want you to like slow down. Read it in little pieces, bite-sized chunks, close the book, think about what you've read. And I'm like, yeah, no, that's what I do. And he goes, no, don't do what you normally do. Slow down, read it. And so I've been through it twice, just so you know. The first time, I just read it. And then after I read it, I thought, there was a lot of good stuff in there. And so then I got the audio version uh, so that during the drive in here to the church, I could listen to a little bite-sized chunk, and then I would pause it. And I actually journaled even as I was working my way through it. And so it was slowing me down a little bit, so it forced me to really think about what I was reading. Anyway, uh, they might might not have copies over next door uh, because of the snow, the shipments were slowed down. But I'm still going to tell you about this book, so if you want to get it later on, it's called Gentle and Lowly by Dane Orland. Highly recommend it. Phenomenal, phenomenal book. I think it'll be a great encouragement in your faith journey as you're working through it. So i got to tell you guys, I'm not sure why, but I feel like oftentimes I overshare with you. Like, does that happen? I feel like I do. I feel like sometimes I let you way too in to what's going on, but I'm going to do it again. But I, I do feel like, just so you know, I'm aware, like, because that's always weird when someone's not aware that they're oversharing, but I'm aware that I overshare. And yet here's what happened. I went to the eye doctor. This was last week. And it wasn't like, because there was an emergency. It was like the eye doctor, because I really like new frames, but I have to justify new frames. And so my prescription has to change enough to get new frames. So I'm in there with fingers crossed, hoping it didn't. My, my, my prescription did not change enough to justify the new frames. Anyway, so I'm in there, and you guys know what it's like to go to the doctor right now. It's like a reverse Zorro, right? So all you see is this part of the doctor. That's all you can see, which is great for an eye doctor. So I'm looking at my eye doctor, and she's looking at me, and that's all she can see of me. And she's pushing around on my eyes, and she's talking to me about, again, oversharing. I know. So I had the sty removed, and it was like way up here, and so they had to flip my eyelid and give me shots up there. It was horrific. You don't need those details before lunch, but that's what happened. And so she's filling around on my eyelids just to see how I'm doing, and then it reminded me of something from when I was a little boy. So I'm like, hey, hey, doc, something I've just been thinking about. When I was a little kid, I could like pull on my skin, like way out here, and like go, whoosh, you know, just smack right back into place. I had snappy skin doctor, I don't have snappy skin anymore. I say, I don't know what's going on, but now it's like I wake up and it takes till lunchtime till my skin like works its way all back on my face where it belongs. And so 
I'm looking at your skin. This really didn't happen. And I looked at her and I go, doctor, your skin looks snappy. And so we had skincare conversation right then and there. And she's talking to me about eye cream and tell me all about oil of Olay. That's what she uses. And she needed to stop on the way home. Man, I hope she's not watching this morning. Anyway, she, or I hope she is. Anyway, she said, I, I, I had to stop. I have to stop on the way home because I'm getting low. And so thanks for reminding me. But I'm like, no, really, seriously. I mean, I'm being genuine. Like, you've got really snappy skin. Like, it's looking great. And and then I got home, and I started wondering, like, does that matter, snappy skin? Like, really, of all the things in the world to talk about, does that even matter in the scheme of the world? Like, because, no, really, my skin, like, is, I don't know, as you're getting older, weird things start happening to your skin. And so I'm drinking the water, I'm doing everything. And then I start thinking, oil of Olay, there's something to oil of Olay. Because grandma, that's what she used. Grandma had great skin, and that's what she used every single day. When I was a little boy, I remember that bottle, oil of Olay. She just slathered all up at nighttime. Now, here's the thing. I think, I think with all sincerity, it does matter, and here's why it matters. I think that when we look at people around us, I think we want to be enough. Do you know what I mean? I, I think we want to be young enough or old enough smart enough or wise enough or talented enough or experienced enough we we want to be enough in fact i would argue that one of our greatest fears is for someone to look at us and think we're a fraud i think one of our greatest fears is that people would look at us and to say you're not enough you're not young enough you're not old enough you're not experienced enough you're not educated enough you're not gifted enough. You're not enough. And then we gather in here to open up the word and say the word together. I think there is something in us that we have this fear that one day we will stand before God and he'll look at us and he's going to say, you know what? When it comes to your faith, yeah, you were a fraud. You were a fake. And it wasn't quite enough. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about living faith. It's our last week of this series. Let's take our Bibles, open up to James 2. James chapter 2 is where we're going to finish up living faith. In verse 14, James is going to jump right in this morning. He is not going to waste any time. And he's going to ask, can that faith, can that faith save him? Which seems to say there's two different kinds of faith, right? There's, there's a faith that's authentic. It's genuine. It's real. That's one kind of faith. And then there's a fraudulent faith. There's a fake faith. There's a poser faith. There's a faith where it's like, yeah, no, my skin really is stretchy and all messed up, but I oil of Olay it, and so it's snappy for right now, but it's not really snappy. It's just the product working, right? I think we're, we're looking at a faith where there's two kinds of faith, a fraudulent faith and a genuine, authentic faith, which shouldn't surprise us that James is talking about this, should it? Jesus talked about it in the Sermon on the Mount. It's Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 Jesus talking to his disciples, he said, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who's in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I've mentioned this before. I think this is one of the hardest truths and all of scripture that Jesus taught. That Jesus says that there are those who look like they're religious. There are those who look like they belong to the church and they might be able to say good fancy prayers and they might know how to dress up and be all churchy in their dress and they might know how to say church words and they might go on mission trips and they might volunteer in ministries and they might even stand on a stage and preach to you and yet there's going to be a place where he's going to say your faith is not a genuine faith. 
you're a fraud. You're a fake. And so James is pressing into that truth. So he says there's this false faith that's going to lead to death or a genuine faith that's going to lead to salvation. So as we're examining in our own hearts, every single one of us, our hope is, I want a genuine faith. Right? You want a genuine faith. So how do you know? How do you know if you have a genuine faith or if you're a fake? How do you know if your faith is genuine? That brings us to our big idea today. The big idea is that faith is revealed through actions. Faith is, it shouldn't shock you that James is going to say that, right? Faith is revealed through action. So we're just going to look at two big realities when it comes to our faith being revealed through actions. And the first is that faith without actions is dead. Faith without actions is dead. James chapter 2 verse 14 is where we're going to jump in. James says this, he says, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. So James, picking up right where we left off last week. Last week, we were talking about the importance of loving your neighbor, more specifically how James taught you don't show partiality to someone just because they're rich. You, you, don't, you don't love them extra because of what they can give to you. So now he's going to look at the other side. And if we're going to talk about the rich, we're going to talk about the poor as well. And he says, if you're not loving the poor, there's a disconnect between your faith and your actions. There's a complete disconnect. And then he says, what good is it? And he asks the question, can that faith save? James here is not looking for a conversation. He's not looking for us to go, well, I think maybe. No, he's, this is rhetorical. He's saying the answer is no, no, that faith can't save. And he gives an illustration. The illustration he gives is just imagine you see someone who's in need, right? They're, they're hungry. They're without clothes. It's us saying, you know what? Just so you know, Jesus loves you. Good luck. You know, shut the door. It's like, what, what good? That's ridiculous. What good is that? That's no good. It'd be like this. Imagine you're in Michigan and it snows like a foot of snow. Y'all imagine that with me? Got a foot of snow out in the yard. And imagine you got a dog at home. Your dog, let's pretend, is not big like my dog, like my poodle. Let's say your dog's not one of those dogs. Let's say you got a wee little dog, like a teeny tiny little dog, like a, like a chihuahua, like something like that, right? You got one of those chihuahua dogs. And, and you open the door to let your chihuahua dog go outside to do what it needs to do outside. What's well, a foot of snow? You didn't say you loved your dog enough to shovel a little path for him. No, no. Go get him, Fluffy. You know, so you open the door and Fluffy goes outside. And all you can see, because there's a foot of snow, you just see the snow kind of collapsing on the little dog. Because the little dog's trying to figure out its way around the... And then all of a sudden, Fluffy gets lost. Fluffy's in the middle of the, uh, the yard, and so all you see is you see the snow kind of just jiggling like this. It would be you opening the door saying, hey, Fluffy, remember when we took that trip to Florida, how sunny it was? Think warm thoughts, Fluffy. God bless you, and you shut the door. Well, that's ridiculous, isn't it? That is so absurd. Or imagine you go down and you get that new car. Ooh, you've been wanting that new truck, and it's shiny, and it's pr- there's no engine in it. Right, And so you get home your dream truck, and it's just going to sit in your driveway looking all shiny and pretty because it's not going to be able to do what it was actually made to do. James is arguing that's us. Man, if you have a faith without action, 
It's ridiculous. It's a, it's a waste. He says, what good is it? Verse 17 leads him to this place of saying it's useless. It's dead. That faith is dead because there's no action. There's, there's no work to it. The text from James should cause all of us to slow down and examine our own lives, shouldn't it? To say, Lord, how am I doing with this? Do I say that I have faith or am I living this out? How am I living this out within my family? My school, my, my work, how am I doing and living this out in my daily life? Not just to say, here's what happened once upon a time. This was a faith that saved me, but to actually have action to my faith today. How am I doing with this? Which brings us to our last point. That faith with action's alive. Faith with action is alive. Look at verse 18. He says, but someone will say, you have faith. And I have works. James says, show me your faith apart from your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works. And faith was completed by his works. And scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see the person is fulfilled by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works, is dead. So verse 18, James here, he gets a little bit stronger in talking about the relationship between faith and works. Now remember who he's talking to. Remember that this is James, the brother of Jesus. This was not one of the 12. This is not James and John, the sons of thunder. That is not this James. This is James, the brother of Jesus. He's an elder of the church in Jerusalem. And the church has been scattered because of persecution. So they spread all throughout the place. They're probably meeting in like house church type setups. Like a life group is probably how they're meeting. They're probably not doing this. This is not how they're gathered at this time. So it's much smaller groups. And there are people who would say, and let me just tell you, it is not something that was said 2,000 years ago. It's also said today. There are people today who will say, I have faith in Jesus. It doesn't matter what I do. I can do whatever I want to do, right? I'm already saved. I can do what I want to do. I can say what I want to say. I can, I can live however I want to live because I have faith. The grace of God covers me no matter what. And James is battling against that group right here in this text. Do you see that? James is saying, oh, no, you want to talk about your faith apart from works? Let's talk about faith with works. So that's what he's pressing on right here. And it starts out by saying, you believe that God is one. Pastor Brad talked about that during communion, didn't he? He read that text where Jesus says, I and the Father, we are one. And we see him talking about that right here in this text where he says, you believe God is one. He's going back to the Shema. That's Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. This is something that would have been prayed daily by the Jews. And so he's saying right here, he's saying, now you, you pray the Shema daily. That's good. That's good that you believe the Lord your God is one. And he kind of pauses. Can you hear the pause here? Then James goes, you do know the demons believe that too, right? 
I mean, you're all impressed with yourself. The demons believe that. They believe it here. But because of their rebellion, they're condemned. Because of their rebellion, they're still condemned. They hear, they know the truth. They're just not living it. Right? There was no surrender. There was no submission. The same can be true for us. Maybe you know a lot about the Bible. Maybe you know it here. Maybe you've read through Scripture. Maybe you've been in, in church for a little bit of your life. But there's never been anything here. There's never been any evidence of your life. That's what James is starting to press on. So he gives some illustrations starting in verse 20. And he talks about a couple individuals here. The first is Abraham, the patriarch. Abraham, the father. Father Abraham of our, our faith. And he says, Abraham... If you don't know the story, Abraham was the one who was promised to have more descendants than the stars in the sky. And it was through his line that the nation of Israel became a nation of people, the Jewish people, where the line of Jesus would come from, right? That all started with Father Abraham. And so Abraham had this son, this son that had been promised, this son that he was waiting for named Isaac. And the Lord told him, I want you to take your son. Take your son Isaac to the top of Mount Moriah and offer him as a sacrifice. Can, can you imagine that? Take your child to the top of the mountain in an act of worship to show that you trust me. Offer your child as a sacrifice. It's, it's unthinkable. And yet Abraham, we don't know exactly the wrestling match that happened there, but Abraham took his son early in the morning, Scripture says. Once he got to the mountains, he told the servants, you stay here. Or the boy and I, we're going to go and worship. And they got up there, and it's when they got to the top of the mountain that the Lord provided the sacrifice. But this is a foreshadowing, isn't it? It's a foreshadowing of our Heavenly Father, whose Son would be the perfect sacrifice for one and for all in Jesus. And Scripture tells us that it is the action of Abraham in which he has this right standing. He gains legally this right standing righteousness, this right standing with God. And not only does he have a legal right standing, but relationally. Do you see what it says relationally? He's called a friend of God. He's called a friend of God. And then there's a verse that can trip us up so quickly. Verse 24 says that a person is justified by works and not faith alone. Woo, that's going to cause some of you to slam on the brakes right there, right? We're going to get a little bit nervous. And if you're like, I don't know why we'd, we'd be nervous, I'll tell you why we'd be nervous. Anytime you hear a church talking about it's going to be salvation in Christ plus something you can do to get salvation, you should be nervous. You should be nervous about that. But when you read a text, any text, you've heard me talk about this before, you always want to read what's before the text and what's after the text, you want a full pick. Don't just look at one verse. Look at what's before the verse, what's after the verse, so you get a complete context. And then, don't skip this part. You want to see where does it talk about this topic in other areas of Scripture. So when you look about this topic of, of salvation through Christ, you're going to see Paul talk about this a lot, right? And if, if you think just... Romans 4, Galatians 3, you're going to talk about how salvation comes through faith in Christ alone. That's where our salvation comes from. And that almost makes us say, whew, okay, salvation comes through Christ alone. So we should just throw James out. We don't need James because James is just crazy talk right here. I don't know what he's talking. No, 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 slow down. Look what he's saying. James is reminding us of a very, very, very important truth. Your salvation is past, present, and future. You know that, right? You weren't just saved like when you surrendered your life to Jesus. Yes, that moment happened, but you are still working out your salvation with fear and trembling today. 
And there is still more that we will be saved from in the future. Salvation is past, present, and future. James is talking about the completeness. Now, if you've never surrendered your life to Christ, we're going to talk a lot more about this in just a second. I want you to know the clarity of the gospel is that you on your own cannot earn your way to heaven. You cannot do enough good works where all of a sudden God is going to say, you now are in the bonus round so you get to go to heaven. You did it. Like you reached that level of achievement, your platinum status now, come on in. You can't be good enough to earn your way to heaven. It's only grace through faith in Christ alone. That is the only way. What James is arguing, though, is there is going to be evidence of your salvation in a new life. There should be the life of you before Christ and a life of you in Christ. And a life of you in Christ means it should be evidenced by the way that we live, by the way that we follow God and his commands, by the way that we love our neighbor. It should be evidence in everything that we do. There should be evidence. If there's no works, if there's no evidence, James is saying then there wasn't a salvation. You don't have a true, authentic salvation. That's what he's arguing here. We have been saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. And then he continues on by talking about Rahab. That's in Joshua chapter 2. Now, Rahab's story is incredible. And what I love about Rahab's story is Rahab was this prostitute. If you don't know the story, she's this prostitute, and she sees the faith of these people. And that what James is actually talking about is living to where people can see our faith, not just hear about our faith, but they can actually see it. Rahab was actually able to see the faith of the people, and she responded. And so you see this phrase, likewise, that word, see the word likewise? I would circle that because it's such a, an ironic word, because likewise to me sounds like, well, Rahab and Abraham were kind of the same. They weren't, the, they weren't even kind of the same. I like how one commentary said it. It said, Rahab is different in almost every single way. He says, Abraham, he was wealthy. He was male. He tried to be moral and follow the rules. He was the father of the Jewish nation. He was a major figure in his society. Then you have Rahab. She was probably poor. She was definitely immoral. She was a prostitute. She was a female. She was an outcast of the nation. She was a minor figure in her society. And yet, both of them not only were called people of faith, but you saw action to their faith. You see, I think what James would do is he would argue... If you go through every single individual that we can find in the Old Testament, anyone that was a person of faith, you're going to see a faith followed by action. A faith followed by action. It's this pattern that we see, which brings us to the final illustration in verse 26. The final illustration, verse 26, he says that the body without the spirit is dead. That makes sense to us, doesn't it? The body with spirit is death. He said that's faith without action, faith without works that it's dead, it's not alive, it's not living. Now, I know I've used this illustration before, but I think the best illustration is Charles Blondin, the great Blondin. Blondin, I found out this week, I was doing some study on this guy. He, um, that's not even his name. Blondin was not his last name. They just made that kind of like a stage name. But on his tombstone in England, it actually says Blondin in quotation marks just because he's like, well, I guess that's my name now. Anyway, he's a tightrope walker. Right? So he would like set it up, and mostly in Europe and mostly in the U.S. His most famous was probably when President Fillmore went to watch him. 
he uh, spanned across the Niagara Falls between the U.S. and Canada. And he would walk across there, and the crowds were all gathered, and they were just cheering him on. And he's like, oh, that's good. Watch, I'll do it with the blindfold on. You know, so he puts the blindfold on, and they're all cheering for him because he's got the blindfold on. He's like, yeah, yeah, watch, I'll put stilts. This is true. All this is true. He puts stilts on, and, of course, they're going crazy. He's like, watch, watch, watch. And he does a flip with the stilts. And, I mean, he's just doing, like, wild stuff. And whatever it is about tightrope walkers, you know how they usually do, like, the little, they got this thing, the little pole? That they, I guess it helps on balance. I would just think it makes your shoulders and arms tired. You know, I don't know. But anyway, they do the pole for balance. So instead he did, he's like, I'm going to take a wheelbarrow. Like people can't walk on normal ground with a wheelbarrow. You know, I'm going to take the wheelbarrow and I'm going to just like wheel my way across the Niagara Falls. On, and the crowd's just cheering him on. Now what the crowd didn't know, he had done the same thing in Europe with a lion in the wheelbarrow. Like, they didn't know that part of the story. So anyway, I just have Wikipedia. Everything on the internet is true, so that's what I learned. So he's, he's got this wheelbarrow, and he makes it to the other side, and the crowd is cheering as he gets there, and he goes, yes, does anyone think here I could do the same thing, but with a person in the wheelbarrow? And they're like, yeah, you are cheering him on. You can do it. He's like, I need a volunteer. Every source I've read tells the same story, that it was just like the sound of crickets in the background. No one wanted to volunteer, and I think sometimes that's our faith. I think sometimes what we do is we say, yes, Lord, yes, I believe. I believe that you want people to hear about your goodness and grace all the way to the ends of the earth. Me? Oh, no, I'm, I'm real busy right now. I can't do that right now. I believe I'm supposed to take care of orphans and widows. Me? I can't, I can't do that right now. Yeah, I'm supposed to take the gospel to those who are financially, they're doing really, really well. Me, I know that's a hard group to talk to. I mean, they're real successful. I don't want to be looked at and found to be a fraud with non-snappy skin. I can't do that. Go to those who are poor, or they, they might just use the system. You know, I, I'm, definitely, I'm definitely not going to go talk to those people. I think sometimes... We're just like those who watch The Great Blund, and I think we want to claim that we have faith, but when it comes to putting action to our faith, I think sometimes we pause. I do. I think sometimes we struggle. Faith is revealed through actions, and so I just want you to examine your heart and just say, Lord, where are my actions today? Where are my actions? Have I been playing the part of just going to church, or is my whole life yours, and do I live it all throughout the week? And if you're here and you've never surrendered your life to Christ, I just want to give you the clearest picture of the gospel I can. The clearest picture of the gospel that I can give is to tell you that God loves you. God loves you. And maybe you're like, but I really don't know anything about God. I don't know what I believe about God. I've, I've done some good things in my life. I've done some bad things. Don't, don't go there yet. I just want you to know God loves you. Let's start there. And just stay with me. God loves you. Now, you and I, we've got this calling in life. God is holy, right? God is holy. You and I now have a task. Today, when we woke up, the task is live a holy life, a perfect life. And when you live a perfect life today, tomorrow you're going to wake up and you have to live a perfect life. And Tuesday, you're going to get up. You have to live a perfect life. Are you seeing the pattern for our calling in this world? Live a perfect life. Life, because he's perfect. Live a per We're creating his image. Live a perfect life. Yeah, see, here's the problem. Even if you don't measure yourself and have never measured yourself according to God's ways, 
even by your own standards, you've missed the mark, haven't you? By your own standards. You've had those days where you've just gone, man, I blew it today. I don't know why I lied over here. I don't know why I did this over there. I don't know why I did that thing I don't even want to do. Why did I do that? That's called sin. That's the biblical word for that. When you do things that are against the ways of God, that is sin. Every single person in this room, we have all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. That's what the Bible tells us. We are all in the same boat. Now, the Bible also says that the wages of sin, meaning as we've accomplished this missing the mark today, we receive payment for that, the wages of sin. The wages of sin is death. That's the wage of sin. The wage of sin is eternal separation from a holy and an awesome God. So on your own, I want you to know that you better enjoy today because this is the best eternity will ever be. Right here, right now. This is it. This is the best eternity will ever be away from Christ. With Christ, everything changes. You see, here's love. Here's love. God is a just God. And God says someone has to pay. But here's what love is. God says, because I love you so much, I'll pay. That's why Jesus came. Jesus came because God loves us so much. Jesus lived a perfect and sinless life. He did what you and I can't do. He lived that perfect, friends, perfect, not mostly, not, not kind. No, he lived a perfect and sinless life. Before he was crucified, do you know what he did? He went to the garden to pray. Brad talked about that garden very briefly. He prayed, the Bible says, until he sweat drops of blood because he knew what was getting ready to come with the crucifixion. Prayed until he sweat drops of blood. That was the anticipation of the cross. Can you imagine the actual weight of the cross? Because when Jesus was nailed to the cross, it wasn't just the crucifixion. He was taking onto himself in those moments the weight of the sin of the entire world, meaning he was paying for your sin. He was paying for my sin. He was paying for all the sins of the world. Can you imagine the weight of the cross? That's a story of love, but ours is more than that. It's a story of victory. They placed Jesus into the tomb, and on the third day, Jesus rose and he walked out of that grave. You see, today, if you go to Israel and you try to visit the grave of Jesus, you, you really can't because there's no body, right? Jesus is risen. We serve a risen Savior. The Bible says this. It says that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you're saved, that you're rescued, that you are not responsible for paying for your sins on your own, that you're placing your faith in Jesus who has already paid that price. And maybe you've never had that moment of stopping and surrendering. And for those of you who have, I want to come back full circle to what James has said and what he's talking about. That moment, that's our starting point, but that starts a new life. That starts a new life in Christ where we get to have what Paul says is the mind of Christ. Where we are in him and he is in us. That's the hope of glory. Where we, our, our baptism is such a beautiful picture because you go under the water and stand with Jesus in his death and his burial. You come up out of the water, raised to walk a new life. So friends, let's not get tired or weary of that. A quick story, probably one of my favorite stories in Scripture, uh, before I finish up. That turning point, you know, as I was talking about that point of, 
going through and then placing your faith in Christ. I think one of the best pictures, there's a, a dad, Jesus tells a story, and he's got two sons. One son is a son who's trying really hard to do everything he's supposed to do. Some of you identify with that. You're like, yeah, that's kind of me. Like, I, I don't try to be a knucklehead. You know, sometimes it happens, but I try to do what I'm supposed to do. I work hard. I try to hit my benchmarks at work. I really, you know, I try to do what's right. Okay, that's, that's the one son. And Jesus actually has a lot to say about him later. But you had the one son. And then the other. Maybe you identify with this one too. The other kind of looked at his dad and he's like, mm, I don't want to be here anymore. Dad, I just kind of want to do things my own. I'm paraphrasing, by the way. I want to do things my own way. So will you go ahead and give me my inheritance now? I know you ain't dead yet, but, you know, I just, I just want my money. now. I want to go do what I want to do. Can you imagine, parents, how painful that'd be to have your kids look at you and basically say, yeah, you're basically dead to me, so I just, I'm out. His father gives his son the money. I'm sure knowing what would happen. And the son goes off. Jesus doesn't give us all the details, but you can imagine Young guy with all the money in the world, you can get far away from dad as you can get, aren't you? So that's what he did. He got away from his dad. He went, lived it up, until all of a sudden the money ran out, which it does. It always runs out. He ran out of money, and it was so bad that he woke up, and he found himself in the most disgusting place a young Jewish man could be. He was with the pigs. Now, for a Jewish guy, there is no worse place. And some of you today, you feel that, don't you? You feel like... I'm in the worst place imaginable, and yet no one knows it. Everyone thinks I've got it together, and I'm dying inside. I may look like I've got the thing going on. Man, I'm the non-snappy skim person Billy's been talking about. That's me. That's my life. I'm in a place where I'm so far from God, and I have no idea what to do to fix it. So Jesus tells a story, and he says, this man with the pigs realizes my dad's servant's. They, they've got it better than this. And maybe I can just go to my dad and just be somewhere near the grounds. Like he, I, I certainly don't deserve to be let into the home, but maybe I can just be close because it's going to be better than this. So he gets up. I want you to pay attention when he gets up. When he gets up, he doesn't go take a bath first. He doesn't go brush his teeth first. He doesn't fix his hair first. He doesn't change. He doesn't do any of that. He gets up and he immediately turns from where he is and he starts towards his dad. That's called repentance. Repentance is when you get up and you turn from the disgusting place of sin that you're in. You say, I'm not going to stay there anymore. And he starts towards his father. Now this part, this part's my favorite. Scripture says that his father looks and sees his son while he's still a long way off. You know, sometimes I think when we think of God, and we think that God is a kind of heavenly father who's going to stand here like this. So when we've messed up, we're going to have to go stand in front of God, and he's going to look, and he's going to go, okay, let's hear it. And you say, well, Lord, I'm really sorry. Oh, yeah, that, that's all you got? Let me hear really why you're sorry. But that's, that's not what Jesus describes at all, is it? He describes this heavenly father who's been watching for his son. And while he's still a long way off, it says that the father runs to him. He runs to him. He gets to his son. He throws his arms around him. And after he throws his arms around him, he tells his servants, quick, get a robe put on my son, put a ring on his hand, kill a fattened calf, we're going to have a barbecue tonight because my son was lost and now he is found. And maybe that's you today. And the whole time you've been coming to this church or watching online or talking to friends or sitting in the quiet of your bedroom just wondering, how do I bridge that gap between me and God? Because I hate the feeling that I feel inside. Friends, I'm telling you, you repent. You turn from where you are and you turn to the Lord. 
You don't have to go a hundred steps to get to him. You start on the way. He's going to run to you, throw his arms around you, and there's going to be a celebration. Because of one who was lost and is found. And it's a simple matter of you throwing up your hands in this place and saying, God, I surrender. I surrender everything to you. I'm confessing that Jesus is Lord of my life. And so we're going to have a prayer team up here in just a little bit. You can come talk to the prayer team if you'd like. But you can stay right there in your seat and do the same thing. And for those who have placed their faith in Christ, man, let today be that reminder that we don't don't want to have that moment, that experience, and stop there. We want to continue to work out our faith with fear and trembling continuing to love the Lord our God so much we do what he says to do. And we love people in a way that reflects his glory. Father, we thank you. We praise you for today. Lord, I just want to start by praying for my brothers or sisters. I know that sometimes even in my own life, it it gets hard because, Lord, we, um, we get busy. And sometimes I think we just want to go to work and just do our job and just be done with it. We want to go home, raise our garage door up, drive in and shut the garage door. So we don't want to love our neighbor. We don't want to love the people in our family sometimes. We don't don't want to love the people at school. Sometimes people can be mean, Lord, and that hurts us and that makes us want to push away. Lord, sometimes we've been taken advantage of. We don't want to be taken advantage of. Lord, we give us hearts of compassion. Lord, help us to see people the way that you do. Help us to be steadfast in our faith. Lord, don't let us sound like culture. Don't let us respond in the way the rest of the world does. But let us respond in a way so that when people look at us, they see through us and they see you through us. Lord, your name, your renown is the desire of our hearts, not our own story, but your glory. And Lord, I pray for those who, as they examine their hearts, are saying, no, I have been living with a genuine faith. I pray for today to be such a beautiful day of celebration, like so affirming and encouraging. Lord, let your word just serve like wind to us to where we just feel like we can continue to live the life that you called us to live. Or let us celebrate today the new life that we have in you as we look at our life before Christ and look at our life now. Lord, give us a posture celebration. God, for that individual who's sitting there and the whole time they know they're that person who's separated from you. They've never surrendered their life to you. I just pray that they had the boldness in these moments to take a step of faith like they've never taken before. As they just declare to you that they believe that you love us, that we're sinners. But Lord, I pray that it's personal. They understand that Christ died for them. He lived and he died and he lived again. I pray for that place of surrender where they say, Jesus is Lord. Lord, continue to help us to be the church that you've called us to be. A church that leans not on our own understanding, 
a church who's quick to serve, a quick church who's quick to love, a church who's quick to worship. Lord, be glorified today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Such a beautiful day to be gathered in the house of the Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness, for continuing to gather together. Let's stand as we close our morning in worship. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.